Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. You know that when something like what happens in Charleston this past weekend happens, there's so many words get thrown around and and so many people try to figure out why and what. There's an enemy in the land. There's an enemy in the land and he came to kill, he came to steal, and he came to destroy. And the great news is, is that for those people that were in the church in Charleston, their lives didn't end. That though their earthly life ended, that their eternal life which began the minute they knew Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and believed in Him and the God who sent Him, that true life began that day and that they merely left this world and entered into the one we were created for in the presence of God eternally. God, we thank You for that. Church family, why don't we just do this? Like, uh, Let's just, as a family, just pray for a minute and, and join together in praying and, and crying out for, for comfort and for peace. That we wouldn't allow sin that was done against us to produce sin in us. That our response would always be Jesus. It would always be love, even when evil touches so close. That we would follow Jesus' example like Peter says, that when He was reviled, He offered no reviled in return. That when He was slandered, He offered no slander in return. When He was struck, He offered nothing in return, but kept entrusting Himself ever to the One who judges righteously. And let's pray for not just for the, the victims and, and the families of the victims uh, this weekend, but for His church universal, that we would not become embittered because of sin against us, that sin against us would not produce sin in us, but that when things like this happen, that we would manifest the nature and the character of Christ. Father, I pray for Your church that, that we would be a people of love, God, that we would walk in love God, that the sin that is, is done against us in this world as evil touches so close to home would not change who we are, would not take our eyes off of You, but that we would continually entrust ourselves and entrust ourselves to the One who judges righteously, which is You, Father. God, I pray for peace and for comfort for all those that are hurting. For everyone that's asking questions why, God, that You would give them a peace that passes the understanding of their heart. God, that a supernatural peace would settle on their lives that a joy that's unexplainable would rise up in them, that even in the midst of something like this, that we can find the joy of knowing that life for us never ends. We simply move from one reality into the reality. God, that we're never separated from You, that You've never left us, You've never forsaken us, and that You promised the Holy Spirit would be the comforter. So right now, Holy Spirit, we thank You for bringing comfort to those families who are so hurting who've lost loved ones, who've said goodbye for now, that Your peace and that Your love and that Your joy would fill their lives, that You would comfort them. God, that what the enemy meant for evil, You will always use for good. And we thank You for the many people who will be drawn together and unified by this rather than torn apart. God, that this was meant to destroy and tear apart, God, but that You will use it to bring people together. We just thank You for that, Father. We thank You for who You are, for all You've promised and for all we have in You. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen. Amen. Um, you know, it's always the goal of the enemy that he would reproduce. It's, there's, there's two kingdoms in this world. There's two kings. There's the prince of the power of the air. There's the God of this world. And then there's God. And each one of them is looking to reproduce themselves inside of people. Our Heavenly Father wants to reproduce Himself inside of us. It's why He planted His Spirit deep inside of us. It's why He gave us life. It's why He breathed into us and made us new creations because He's reproducing Himself in us to manifest Himself to the world. But there's an enemy in the land who wants to do the same. And He's looking to reproduce Himself inside of people. And I'm just praying and and asking and pleading that that we, as the body of believers, would never allow those things that are done to us to cause that to rise up in us. That we would have an answer that's more real than a response. Because we're not responding to the enemy. We're living from the place that was settled in our hearts long before. 
and that our, we would always manifest the character and nature of God and that love would flow from us even in this time. I ask that we continue to pray, not only for the church in Charleston um, and the people there, but for the church all over the world, wherever they're gathered, the persecuted church that are facing persecution simply because of the fact that they called Jesus Lord. Yeah. Um, how are you guys? Good. Man, there's something about singing those old songs, isn't there? Gosh, man, it just pulls at my heart, you know? It's like, I love all the new songs we sing, but there's just something about, like, you know, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Just that, that simple truth reality on our lips. And I love that. I'm thankful for our team that just, whether they have stuff like that planned or not, they're just free to follow where God's leading them. And we always end up right where He wants us in worship because we have a team of people that are up there not to perform, but to hear His voice and sing out and go where he's calling them to go. It's awesome. It's so, you guys don't even understand as a pastor what a blessing it is to have a team that you can entrust and that you can just submit yourself to and be led and worshiped by them every week and not have to manage and not feel like you have to worry about what's going to happen, but you know that they're going to be listening and hearing the voice and the heartbeat of God and going there and worship. It's awesome. It is. Um, We're going to take up our offering right now. If you guys um, want to get that ready and um, do me a favor, if you have your offering, just hold it up real quick. Listen, if, if when we talk about the offering, we say this sometimes and, and I say it and it's, this is not at all meant to be um, trite. This is not meant to be smart at home before we collect it. Wait one second. Um, but, but this is something we say sometimes and I mean this from my heart and this is, please hear me in the, in the, the most genuine way that, that I know how to say this. If when you're in church, in a church building, you know, in this building that we call church, and, and somebody says something about money or receiving an offering, if something in your heart goes, ooh, if there's like a tension there, if there's something that makes you like bristle up, if you start hearing like they just want your money or any of those things, just please do us a favor and do yourself a favor and just take your offering just no one's watching or no one's going to know and just put it back in your pocket or back in your purse wherever it came from but do this when you go home and you get alone with God just ask him God why is it that people could talk about my talents my time people could ask for me to do something and help them and I would give of myself freely but but when I'm in a church setting, when the topic of money gets brought up or if an offering time comes, there's something in me that bristles up. God, why is that? And just ask Him and He'll be faithful to show you what it is. Because truthfully, we don't want your money. God's not after your money. He's after your heart. He's after all of you. And if there's a part of you that you're holding on to, it's not that we want you to let go of it so that we can have it. It's because if there's an area that you're holding on to, it's an area that you've kept off limits to God. And, you know, it's like the, the raccoon with his hand in the trap that just won't let go of the shiny object. And he holds on to it. And you, and, you, and you may be able to hold on really tightly to all those things that you have in your hand, right? You can hold on. And you may do a really good job of holding on and not losing them. The problem is, is as we hold on so tightly, we eliminate the ability for God to place anything else into our hands because we're so busy holding on to what we have. We just want to live our lives not just with finances, but with everything we have with our hands open before God saying, God, all I have is Yours. It's all Yours. And in doing so, we posture ourselves to receive all that He has for us. So God, I just thank You that we can give joyfully. God, that if Your Word says that You love a cheerful giver, and there's a place in You that we can trust You with our finances, with our resources, God, that we can cheerfully give. God, I thank You that, that You've never called us to something that You haven't empowered and given us the ability to walk in. So I thank You right now for just speaking to our hearts and, and, and just showing us how trustworthy and how faithful You are that we would trust You with all that we have. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Um, I, I honestly, and when I say that, I, I promise you, the reason why is because if you're simply giving begrudgingly you're robbing yourself of the blessing and I would rather you just hold on to it until you're at a place where in your heart you truly want to give and it's a cheerful thing so that when you give it's pure and it's not begrudgingly and it's not out of obligation all the things that Paul talked about in his letter Um, because there really is a blessing in giving 
but there's really, really a blessing in having a heart that's yielded that wants to give. And that's the place that we pray that everybody would come to in every area of their lives. Listen, if there's anything that you're holding on to, like I, I, the, the thing that, 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 I, that I sometimes have a hard time understanding, and, I've, and, I, and I'm speaking to myself sometimes too, is that why would I want to hold on to anything and keep anything as mine? When I look at what God did with the very worst that I had, with the sin that I would never want anyone to know about, with the most, you know, the most vile things that I've ever done, with the, with the deepest depths that I ever sunk to, and I see what He did when I gave that to Him, and the beauty He brought from it and what He caused my life to become when I entrusted that into His hands. If that's what He could do with what I consider to be my worst, how much more can He do with what I consider to be my best? Like, if that's what He's able to do when I give Him the very worst of me, what what is He able to do and what will He create when I give Him the best of me? And the things that I consider to be good things. So I don't want to hold on to anything because I don't trust myself more than I trust Him. I trust that He is so much more able to make everything even greater than I could on my own. And so we just try to live our lives with every area of our lives like this. With just those open hands saying, God, it's all Yours. And also posturing ourselves and saying, God, I want everything that You have for me and I don't want to miss anything. Um, Happy Father's Day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not to you, David. You're not a father yet. But, but you know what? <laughs> but one day you will be. And maybe God's speaking to you as a father. We're going to talk about that with Abraham in a minute because God speaks to us not for just for who we are in the moment, but for who we're becoming. So it's okay to nod your head and say hi <laughs> and receive that. Just do me a favor, though. If you are a father, if you have earthly children on this earth right now, would you just stand up right where you are? Come on, stand up. Yep, it's okay. I promise it's not going to get weird. Wait, listen. Leslie's like, me and Mark are one, so if he's standing up, I'm standing up too. Look, you had your day a few weeks ago. Okay, listen, church family, just do me a favor. Right where you're at, find a father that's standing. Put your hand on them. We're just going to pray a blessing over them. Yeah, just if they're standing up, just, just if, you, if there's someone close to you, that, just put your hands on them. And church, we're going to just, we want to bless the fathers in this place. God, I thank you for these men. God, I thank You that they have given their lives to see You reproduced in their children. God, that they've committed themselves to raising and training their children in the fear and in the love of God. God, that they know You and that they overflow that relationship that they have. That they spend their days seeking You so they have something of worth to give to their family. God, I thank You that You've given them everything they need pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Your Son Jesus, as Your Word says. God, that You saw these men when You placed that life and that responsibility into their hands. That You knew who they were before You entrusted them with that life, God. And that You are confident that they are capable of being the Father that You created them to be to raise the children that You created them to be. That they would become the men and the women of God that You had in Your heart when You implanted them in their mother's womb. I thank You for that. I call these fathers blessed. I ask them, God, You would just open up and show them Your heart for them. God, that You would show them the pleasure You have over them as they raise their children in a godly way. As they love their wives and set an example of what it is to be a husband. As they model what it is to be a father. And as they live their lives as sons. I thank You for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So... If you have your Bibles, open them up to Genesis chapter 17, starting at the beginning of the chapter. We've been talking about covenant for a while now. We're going to be continuing to talk about covenant for a while going forward. Um, that's our plan anyways. Obviously, that's subject to change. I'm so, I, I'm so done saying what we're going to be talking about next week because then half the times it doesn't happen because he gives me something else and so that's the plan anyways we will cover it all at some point um you know we talked about the other the the other week um we were i was out of town last week but the week before and tom filled in and and um and did awesome job just kind of talking deeper into some things that we started talking about the week before but we talked about the the covenant that god made with abraham and 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 how it it was so important for us to understand the covenant that we have with the father and 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 so many times like 
we can we can know all about God and we can know all about you know the sin his son to die on a cross but if we don't understand that it was because of a covenant Jesus said this is the new covenant in my blood like literally when he was talking to the disciples he said there's a new covenant in my blood my blood carries a new covenant a better covenant and he walked the earth carrying with him the new covenant that God was making with man a better covenant Right, a, a, a new and better covenant. And so if the if the story of the Bible is God's covenant with man, then it would it would be a good idea for us to understand that covenant and to know what that covenant means to us and, and what it requires from us. And you can look throughout history and you can always see looking through the Bible, the man that understood his covenant with God always accomplished great things because he wasn't afraid. And because he lived differently because of what he believed and because of the covenant he had. And I think if we understood the covenant that we have with God the way David understood his covenant, we would probably face giants the way David faced giants. See, David didn't have anything that the people sitting around the campfire every night, terrified of Goliath, didn't have. He had nothing that they didn't have. They were all in covenant with God. Every single one of them. Any, any one of them could have gone down into the valley and could have faced Goliath because they were in covenant with the living God and He had promised that He would provide and protect them as long as they would trust Him and obey Him. And if, they, if any of those men would have put their trust in God rather than in themselves, they would have ran down into the valley and they could have slain the, the, the giant the way that David did. But David was the only one who actually believed and you can hear it over and over again when he walks into the camp. He continually points out that the Philistine doesn't have covenant. He says, certainly God will deliver this uncircumcised Philistine into my hands. What's he pointing out? He doesn't have covenant. Certainly God will deliver the head of this, of this non-covenant Philistine into my hands. Why? Not because David was so capable and so mighty on his own, but because he had a greater covenant. He was in covenant with the God of the universe. And he understood that. To the person that understands covenant will always be a greater level of being able to live as though the promises of God are true. So if we understand that, it probably would change the way that we live. And there should be something, you guys, about this Christian life that changes the way that we live. Like, if our lives look the exact same as they did before we came into covenant with the God of the universe, before we had the Spirit of the living God placed inside of us, before we became a new creation, if my life looks almost identical, except for now there's a few things that I've tidied up, you know, I don't curse anymore, you know, I stopped doing this. Those are great things, and then those things fall away automatically. But if the only difference in my life is that I look like a little bit nicer version of the guy that I was before, something is wrong. Our lives should look dramatically different as we become a new creation in Christ and as we grow and learn what, what it is to follow Jesus and we become more like Him. So, open to Genesis chapter 17. It says, now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram. But your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God." God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that, that we have this written record of, of who You are. God, of who You want to be in our lives and who You've called us to be. I thank You that as we, as we learn from it, as we, as we take it in, that the seed of, of Your Word, God, would, would be fall on good soil. That our ears would be open to hear, our minds to understand, that, that we have the mind of Christ, that we can comprehend the things that You're speaking that it would go in our hearts, that it would change our lives, that we would walk in a way, God, that, that the world that doesn't know You would taste and see that You're good because of the fruit of our lives. I thank You for that. Holy Spirit, I just ask that everything I say today would be from You. That You speak through me. In Jesus' name, Amen. So God comes to Abraham 
Abram, and he changes his name to Abraham. Later in the chapter, he changes Sarai's name to Sarah. But God says to Abraham, you'll be the father of many nations. I have made you the father of nations, and I will make nations from you. This is something that, that you see over and over again in the Word and that we have to understand and we have to be okay with is that God will speak to us in past tense, in present tense, and in future tense. And in sometimes what He's saying to us in the present doesn't make any sense because of where we are. He says, Abram, you're a a father of many nations. Abram doesn't even have a son at the time. But God is speaking to him for who he sees Abram becoming. A lot of times when God's speaking to us, it's not for right where we are in the moment, but it's because God sees who we're becoming and he speaks to us in that way. So Gideon is a mighty man of valor while he's hiding in a wine press. Abram is the father of many nations and kings will come forth from him when he doesn't even have a single son to pass his name on to yet. Isn't that amazing? We have to be okay and be comfortable with that. That's why the prophetic is so important because it's God speaking out the things that are to come as though they are now. And when we hear that, it's up to us to actually believe and then live as though what He's saying is true. Because look at what happens with Abram. He says, it's, he, he came to him and he said, Abram, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And Abram says back in Genesis 15, Abram says, well, how Lord will you do this when, when I don't even have a son? And one who is born of my household is not even my heir, or not even my son, not even my own blood is going to be the heir and receive everything. And God comes to him and says, listen, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And Abram's first response is, how can that happen? Because I don't have a son. It says, God explained to him, I'm going to give you a son. It says, and Abram believed... And it was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, God came to him and said, this is what I'm going to do, Abram. I am going to do this through you. I'm going to give this to you. And I'm calling you this now. If you can believe it, you'll walk in it and you'll see it. Because it says he believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, his standing with God was right when he believed what God was speaking over his life. And I think a lot of times in our lives, God's speaking to us things that are so beyond our ability to comprehend them, and all He's waiting for is us to actually believe it and live as though it's true. And the moment that you actually believe what He's speaking over your life and live as though it's true, even when what you see going on around you doesn't line up with what God's speaking. Because you're called to live by faith, not by sight. If it had to do with what you could see, then you don't need faith because you're walking by sight. Abram had to walk by faith because what God was speaking was physically impossible at the time he was speaking it to him. But he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, his standing with God was made right because he actually believed what God was saying in spite of the fact that he was past the age of having children and so was his wife. There's probably things in your life that God's spoken over you that are just sitting there waiting dormant to the day that you actually believe and take hold and live as though what He said is true. And it's not God that you're waiting on. Sometimes we're stuck waiting on God and God's waiting on us. Go back to the last word that God spoke over your life. Go back to the last thing that God showed you and find out what it was and start living from that place forward. And a lot of times you'll see things start to change in your life. Because He doesn't speak idle words which is why He can judge us for every idle word we speak. It's in your Bible. It says you, Jesus said that you'll be judged for every idle word you speak. In other words, every word that you said that was just idle, worthless, that's what that word means, you'll have to give account for. Probably be a good idea if we would model Jesus. And Jesus said, these words that I speak are not my own, but these things that I say are what the Father's saying. Not that you have to walk around saying, thus saith the Lord about everything, but if you can't hear God's heart and what you're speaking, there might be a good idea just to keep it to yourself. All right. Good word, Roy. (laughs) Okay, so God says, I'm going to make this covenant with you and it's going to be binding. And He says, Here's how you're going to know that this is changing you forever is I'm actually going to change your name and no longer will you be called Abram, but you'll be called Abraham. Notice he adds into the the name Abram the sound. (sighs) Yeah. It's not coincidental. It's not as if God was like, I want to make his name a little bit longer, but I'd like to include that (sighs) sound. (laughs) How can I do this? 
Um, that's not what God was doing. God was very intentional. He doesn't waste anything. God is very strategic. He's very intentional. He's not a God of waste. He's a God of abundance, but he's not a God of waste. A lot of times we think that abundance means waste. Abundance just means you have more to steward wisely. It's actually a greater responsibility. That's why to whom much is given, much will be required. The presence of abundance doesn't mean the lack of necessary of good stewardship. It just means there's a greater responsibility to steward a greater amount of things wisely. God has all abundance, yet He doesn't waste anything. And so He's naming Abram, and He's taking Abram, whose name means mighty father, and He's making him Abraham, the father of many. So, in the time of Abram, the people wouldn't speak God's name. They didn't even dare. They thought that there was no way that men who were as unholy as they are were capable or deserving or able to actually speak the name of God. So they wouldn't call Him El Shaddai, which is the way that He called Himself the God Almighty. When He showed up to Abraham, He said, now it says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before Me. They wouldn't find themselves calling him El Shaddai. They didn't even have the, the ability or they didn't feel like they had the ability to even speak his name. And so they would say and they would call him by YHWH. You've seen that before. It eventually became Yahweh, which is the, what the modern translation that would be. But it was literally something they would say and it was a sound. It would come from their mouth and it was Yahweh. And it was signified the very breath of God, which is the presence of God. In, in, the, in the Greek language, it's called the, the ruah, which is the ruah. It's the breath of God, the wind of God. And that's all they would refer to Him as by, as yah, yah, yah. And so when they were talking and they would say His name, it was just that sound, the breath of God that they would use to, to signify God. And so God takes Abram and He says, Abram, I'm going to make you a new person. I'm going to create something new in you and I'm going to establish today this covenant that will bring forth My Son. And I'm going to today make the promise of a covenant that will one day come. And I'm going to change your name because no longer will you just be Abram. I'm placing Myself inside of your name. And now your name every time it is spoken will carry the breath of God. No one will ever be able to say your name from this day forward without saying my name as well. And Abram becomes Abraham. And the very breath of God enters into man as he makes covenant with him and changes him forever. Isn't that amazing? The very breath of God. And so, think about it. It's not like there's not a precedent for this, right? Because God is in the garden and He's wanting to crown His creation. And everything else He speaks and it comes forward. Light be and light is. And, and He speaks and the animals come into existence. The trees come into existence. But with man, it's different. He doesn't just speak and say something. He actually gets down and He forms man out of dirt. And He makes this form and He says He makes man after His own image. And in the image of God, He created him. And then He gets down and He breathes His breath into a pile of dirt. And Adam stands up. And now he is actually creating a covenant where he can bring forth the, the second Adam, the final Adam, the Adam who would take away the sin of the world. For if by the many, or for by the, if the disobedience of one, the many were made unrighteous, how much more than through the obedience of one will the many be justified? Right. So the first Adam he breathes into, and he does, and, and Adam forfeits that breath and gives it over to the enemy. But now he's recreating a way to bring forth the one he promised in the garden, the seed of a woman. And he once again breathes his breath into man, and everything changes. And so, this covenant is not simply from God towards man. Everything that that man that God asks of man, uh, that God asks of man, God does for Himself. And so, in that day, Abram's name changes, right, and it becomes Abraham. And later, he changes Sarah's names, which is Sarai, into Sarah. He adds his breath. He adds the essence of who he is to Sarah's name, right? But what about God? 
If man's name changed on that day, then what about the Father? Because if this is a covenant that the two are making, then what happened to God? Remember when at the beginning of this chapter, he says to Abraham, he says, I am, and that word that he uses there is El Shaddai. I am El Shaddai or El Shaddai, as some people say, the God Almighty. Look at the next time he references himself and he speaks of himself. Open your Bibles real quick. Just flip forward to Genesis chapter 26. So the last time before the covenant, when he's introducing himself to man and he's, he's calling himself and speaking about himself, he says, I am the God Almighty. The next time that God speaks about who he is, in Genesis chapter 26, 24, it says, the Lord appeared before him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. So God places His name inside of Abram and Abram becomes Abraham and He takes Abram into His name and He becomes the God of Abraham. He's no longer calling Himself the God Almighty. Now when He speaks, He says, I am the God of your father Abraham. As He gave His name to Abram, He took Abraham's name into Himself. And it was changing for man and it changed God in that day because He bound Himself. He said, I will be your God. And I will bring forth from you these people. And I will create a mighty nation through you to Abraham. And he made a promise. And he sealed it that day by placing his name in Abraham and taking Abraham's name into himself in a covenant exchange. You guys, you've done this. You've seen this played out, right? You've all been to a, a wedding. You've all seen the bride come walk down. Remember we talked about it last week that so many of the steps of covenant we've done in wedding ceremonies. We don't even understand what we're doing so many times. It's why divorces become just so commonplace and so rampant. Marriage is disposable because we don't understand the weight and the gravity of the covenant that we're making. If we did, we might think twice. But you come into the marriage ceremony and the first thing the ushers want to know is bride's side or groom's side. And you don't know why they're dividing you, really. You just think they're dividing you. And then all of a sudden, the bride stands at the back of the room and they play the wedding march or whatever they're going to play, and everybody rises and stands, and you have the blood of the groom on one side and the blood of the bride on the other side, and all the ancestors and relatives of the bride on one side and all the ancestors and relatives of the groom on the other side, and they stand up, and now suddenly there's a wall of blood on either side, and the bride passes through it on her way to an altar to make covenant with God, and then she takes the name of her husband, and forever her name is changed from that day forward as she takes his name on and begins becomes his wife and this is what's happening as God is giving his name to his bride to his church to his people the amazing thing about this is that every single thing that happened in the old Jesus fulfilled in the new and did in the new so Job chapter 25 verse 4 you don't have to turn there I'm just going to read it. it says how then can a man be just with God how can he be clean who is born of woman? Even, even, if even the moon has no brightness and the stars are not pure in his sight, how much less man, that maggot, and the son of man, that worm, calling men the son of man. Isaiah 51.12, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies and the son of man who is made like grass? Daniel 8.17, and he came, so he came near to where I was standing, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, Son of man, understand that the vision pertains to the end of times. Over and over again, Ezekiel is called the Son of Man. Prophets are called Son of Man. God addresses men as the Son of Man. And then we find Jesus comes onto the scene, and the first time that Jesus describes himself to people, it's in Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. He says, Now when Jesus, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came to him and said, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The first time Jesus identifies and calls himself something, he identifies himself as the Son of Man. Mark 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 10 says, But so that you may know, Jesus speaking of himself, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, Be healed. Take up your bed and walk. Over and over again. In fact, it's the most common thing that he calls himself over and over. 27 times alone in the book of Matthew, he calls himself the Son of Man. 
So Jesus, the Son of God, comes to earth and takes on the name of the Son of Man who God has referred to men to up until that point. He never called Himself the Son of Man. He only spoke to men. He spoke to His prophets. He spoke to people. He spoke in generic reference and always called people the Son of Man. And then Jesus comes and when He says who He is, He says, I am the Son of Man. Why? Because He's taking on our name. Because He's here to fulfill the covenant. He's here to do everything that wasn't done by the first Adam. The second Adam comes to fulfill the covenant and to seal the covenant. And so when He comes, He calls Himself the Son of Man. Turn to 1 John chapter 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we would be called children of God and such we are. Romans 8.14 For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Galatians 3.26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Galatians 4.6, because you are sons, God sent forth His Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So the Son of God comes to earth and takes on the name Son of Man and walks in obedience as a man and then suffers for the sins of all humanity so that the sons of man could then receive the name Sons of God. And the exchange is complete that started with Abraham now is completed as we accept the sacrifice that was paid by Jesus so that the sons of men could now become the sons of God. You want to see something amazing? It all has to do with that same breath that God placed into Adam, that He placed into Abraham, and that Jesus placed into the disciples. Turn to chapter 20 of the book of John. If you don't want to, we'll have it on the the thing overhead. I just like for everyone to see it in their Bible because I don't want you to say, well, Roy said. I don't want you to, or don't listen to podcasts and say, well, Bill said, or, you know, well, Andrew said, or any of those things. Find it in the Word and know it for yourself so that when you're declaring these things to people, you're not standing on something that somebody else said. I promise I will do my best to always give you verses in context, not to just grab and choose and make things fit. But know that for yourself so that you have a confidence when you're speaking to people that when they ask you a question, you're not defenseless and saying, well, that's what so-and-so said. But you can actually stand on the truth and the knowledge that you have. Also, the Holy Spirit will bring into remembrance all the things that Jesus said to you. If you have the Word of God deep inside of you when you need it, He can bring it back to your remembrance. So, so, so even if you don't look them up now, I'm just, I'm just saying just, just know your Bible. Read the Word. Ingest the Word. Take that in. But John chapter 20, verse 21, it says, So Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent Me, I also send you. When He had said this, He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. These men were born into Adam as the sons of men. The breath of God comes onto them. The Holy Spirit comes into them and they're born again the sons of God. There's an exchange there that is greater than we understand because we actually have been given and taken on His name and we're now in covenant with Him in His name. Whenever you see in My name, it's a covenant term meaning in covenant with Me. That's why I said whatever you ask believing in My name, it will be done for you. He's not saying tagline your prayers with in Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, I'm not saying it's wrong to end your prayers with in Jesus' name, Amen. As long as you're reminding yourself and giving yourself faith and confidence that you will have what you ask because you're asking in His name in covenant with Jesus. But in Jesus' name is not some magic answer to the to, or not some magical you know phrase at the end of a prayer that makes sure it gets answered. It's the reason that you can expect your name your prayers to be answered is because you're asking in His name. It's as if Jesus Himself is asking because in the covenant He took on all that we were so that we could take on all that He was. He was obedient when I couldn't be so that I could live in the reward of His obedience. And so when I pray, I pray in Jesus' name, in covenant with Jesus, and it's as if He Himself is asking. And that's why He said, whatever you ask believing in My name, it will be done. It will be given. It's because of the covenant that we have. So... Maybe not taking the Lord's name in vain has less to do with saying God and then a swear word and more to do 
with not claiming and taking on the name of Jesus without actually living in what He died for us to have. Maybe it has less to do with what comes out of your mouth when you hit your thumb with a hammer and more to do with what comes out of your mouth when the life squeezes you, when things go wrong in life, or when people are hurting, when people do things against you that normally would have caused you to respond in the same way that what they did to you. Rather than that, you respond in love and in kindness and in truth because of Jesus living on the inside of you because you haven't just taken His name in vain. You actually took His name on and you're living your life as though you're following Jesus. I'm not saying it's okay to, to say, oh my, you know, all that stuff. You know, you hear something crazy. It's like, of all the things I did in life, and this is like, this is not a point of boasting. It's just a, a weird thing. Like, of all the things I did in life, from drug addiction to violence to everything else that I did in my life, I never in my life ever said, OMG. Because I had it so drilled in my head that if I said that, God would not hold me blameless. Remember that? The commandment? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for God shall not hold him guiltless who taketh his name in vain. I wonder if God wasn't saying something then that applies to us more now than it even did back then and saying, listen to me, there's going to be much required of you because much has been given to you. And you will give an answer for what you did with the power of Christ that you actually lived and walked in. When the Holy Spirit of God came and lived and dwelt inside of you, and Jesus said, as the Father sends me into the world, so I also send you. It wasn't just some little thing to say, yay. That was Jesus saying, the same things you saw me do on this earth, I'm now sending you into the earth to do the way the Father sent me. And if you name the name, remember in John, he's writing and he says, those who claim the name of Jesus ought to in this life walk as He walked. In other words, if you take the name of Jesus on and you take on the forgiveness of sins and you take on the right standing with the Father and you take on the fact that you'll never die but you have eternal life and that you'll spend it forever in heaven for eternity with the Father in heaven, that's part of it. But you can't just claim the name of Jesus so that you have fire insurance and one day you go to heaven without actually walking as though heaven has come into you while you're here on earth. Because to do so is to take His name in vain because we're not taking on everything that He died for us to have. We owe it to ourselves and to God to not take His name in vain, right? To God, why? Because it's the reason He sent His Son is so that you could be born again a new creation and you could actually live the life that He created and intended for you to live. We owe it to ourselves. Why? Because if we don't live out the life that Jesus calls us to live, we're settling for so much less than what Jesus gave His life on a cross for us to be able to live in. Don't just say a prayer and then go back to life as normal and live with guilt and shame and condemnation and live in that cycle of doing things that you shouldn't and then feeling bad about it and repenting and feeling better and then doing something you shouldn't. That endless cycle of guilt and shame that drives you nuts and keeps you from actually having something to give to other people because you're so busy introspectively looking at yourself and you're always conscious of who you are and who you're not and how you've missed it. Get rid of that forever and understand who you are in Christ and you'll act better on action than you ever did on purpose trying to do it on your own. Sin consciousness will never, ever, ever lead you to living more like Jesus. But God consciousness will make you live more like Jesus than you ever could when you tried to do it the other way. You'll accidentally act more like Jesus than you ever did on purpose if you wake up in the morning aware of who you are in Christ and thanking Him that you're a son than you ever did when you woke up in the morning asking Him to help you not to sin. There's nothing wrong with asking Him to help you not to sin as long as you understand the reason He's answering your, your, the way He answered your prayer is by recreating you a new creation in Christ and putting His Holy Spirit within you. If all we're doing is saying, God, I know that I'm just a miserable loser and I'm such a sinner and I'm praying that You would help. How can God answer that prayer because his word says as a man thinks in his heart so he is and if i think in my heart that i'm a miserable sinner then i shouldn't be surprised when my life reflects that and it would be a violation of god's word if he was to answer that prayer what if we exchange that for god i thank you that i was but now i am God, I thank You that I once was lost, but now that I am found. I thank You that I once was unholy and the best I could do is act holy. I thank You, God, that I now am holy because Your Word says, don't you know that You are holy? 
that the temple of God is holy and that is what you are, God. That you claim that Jesus became sin who knew no sin, that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Jesus didn't come and act sinful so that you could act righteous. He became sin so that you could become righteous. There's a big difference there. It's not an act anymore. In fact, the worst thing you can do as a born-again believer is act like something less than you are because it's not who you are anymore. You've been changed. You're a new creation in Christ. And we owe it to others. Why? Because the world needs to see people who can walk out and demonstrate what it is to live empowered by the Holy Spirit to lay down their lives and love other people. That's what Kristen was talking about earlier, taking our eyes off ourselves for long enough to be able to see that there's a world around us that's hurting and needs Jesus. And if my eyes are constantly on myself, if my eyes are constantly on the things that I've done wrong, if I'm constantly finding myself in a place of beating myself up and feeling bad and feeling guilty and feeling ashamed and needing to be encouraged constantly, then I'm settling for less than the life Jesus died for me to live because His, was, his words to me were to go into the world and make disciples. In other words, go into the world and show people what it is to follow me so that their life lived following you looks like my life lived following the Father. And if all I can give people is it's better than hell, something's wrong. If the best we can offer people is that it's better than hell, we've missed the point. Because Jesus didn't die just so that one day you don't go to hell. He died so that heaven could come inside of you and you could be recreated a new creation in Christ and actually live the life that you were created for from the beginning with the breath of God back inside of you the way it was intended to be. He breathes into dirt. Dirt becomes Adam in the image of God. Adam gives that back and gives dominion over to the enemy. Jesus comes, takes it back by a perfect life and then breathes that breath back into us and says, go as the Father sent me into the world, so I also send you. That's weighty, but it's beautiful because He's never asked us to do something that He hasn't empowered us to do. So today we don't physically change our name. But our identity changes just like Abraham's did. I'm going to just close up with this. You have to understand this. We have got to get this. That I am no longer who I was now that Christ has come. That I'm not the person that I was before Christ. That that person had to die so that the real me could be recreated and born again a new creation in Christ. That if I could be fixed, Jesus would have came and just been fixed, but He couldn't be because I couldn't be. So He actually had to die, showing me that I have to die in order to truly live. It's as, it's as drastic as it was with Abraham, and maybe even more so. Because what the law couldn't do, what the first covenant couldn't do, because it lacked the ability to, to fulfill itself. The second covenant, the better covenant, the covenant that we have with Jesus actually has the power to change us to live out the things that we're called to live in. Think about it. The old covenant, you couldn't want to kill your brother. The new co- I mean, you, couldn't, you couldn't kill your brother, and if you didn't, you weren't a murderer. The new covenant, you can't want to kill your brother. The old covenant, you couldn't sleep with someone besides your wife or you were an adulterer, to be an adulterer. On the new covenant, you can't want to. You can't look at with desire to sleep with another woman. The requirement of the new covenant is way greater than the requirement of the old covenant. But the power of the new covenant is way greater than the power of the old covenant. For what the blood of bulls and goats could never did, He did through His Son Jesus sacrificed on a cross. See, because it's no longer about just being able to change the penalty for your sin. It's actually about being able to change your life so that sin isn't the expectation of your life. It's the exception of your life. That's why John's writing to the church. He's writing this letter and he says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if you sin, he doesn't say in when. And if you're thinking right now, sir, you're saying you're not sinning. That, that, that You're missing the point. The point is that the power of God is to transform our lives so that the things that God calls us not to do, we don't want to do. Because He said He would give you the desires of your heart. 
In other words, he'll change the desires of your heart to where the things that you wanted to do are no longer appealing to you. It's not a white knuckle, hold on to you, make it and try not to sin. It's to actually have my life so changed by the Spirit of God that I can live with my hands open. I'm not holding on to something that I don't want and trying my best not to swerve into that ditch. I'm actually on the straight and narrow path and that's what I want to be because my eyes are fixed upon Him, the author and finisher of my faith and my salvation. You have a new name. You were born a son of man. You became born again a son, a daughter of God. You have a new father. It's Father's Day. Jesus said something real rosy not too long ago. He said, call no earthly man your father, for you have one who is your father and he is in heaven. What was he saying? Was he saying don't give a Father's Day card? Don't say happy Father's Day? No, what he was saying is don't look to anybody on earth to fulfill you in the way that only your heavenly father can. Because He's a good, good Father. God, I just thank You for who You are. I thank You for this covenant that we have, God. I thank You for this exchange of names where You took on my name so that I could receive Yours. That Jesus, You would come from heaven and take on the name of the Son of Man so that I, a Son of Man, could take on the name of the Son of God. I pray that nothing that You spent Your life for be wasted on Me, Jesus. That I would receive everything that You died for Me to have. That I would walk in fullness of grace, in fullness of mercy, in fullness of joy. That I wouldn't settle for any less. That I would go after You to understand what it is to be a new creation in Christ. To understand what it is. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that I should be called, that You should be called, that we should be called the children of God. That we would never cease, God, to go after and understand what it is to be Your children and walk this earth as sons and daughters. I thank You for that promise, Father. I thank You for all that we have in Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen. We love you guys. I want to encourage you, um, if you have time, and you're, you know, I know a lot of you guys are going through your own little Bible study, but if you have time and you're looking for something to study, um, if you would continue to read in Genesis 17, because next week we're going to pick up off there with the cutting of flesh, and we're going to talk about the circumcision, and we're going to get into Galatians, where Paul talks about circumcision nowadays in the modern believer and what that looks like in the new covenant. So, if you have time, start reading in the keep reading in chapter uh, 17 of Genesis about the circumcision, and then read the book of Galatians. It's not a long book; it's pretty short. Read through the book of Galatians. That'll give us a lot of context for when we start talking about it in here next week. We love you guys. We're thankful for you. 